Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Mooresville. There's problems in the church, according to Paul in Philippians verse chapter 4, verse 2 through 3. Uh, he said, I implore Eudia and Sentchi to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true com- companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So I think I may have already shared that, you know, in the book of Philippians, you know, Paul really didn't address, he addressed two problems in the book of Philippians. One was legalism. He addressed that in chapter 3, and the dangers of religion. This, this other thing he was addresses right here is, is uh, division, strife in the church. Uh, and so, you know, we can, be, we can all be deli- absolutely 100% dedicated to the Lord, devoted to the Lord, but have relational issues with other people, Right? Or if if you're saying no, then you are living. You're not. You're not real. <laughs> so and and that strife can really cause problems, obviously. And Paul himself really understood. He understood this because he and Barnabas went out on the first missionary journey together as a team. Barnabas really was the guy who brought Paul in and made and helped Paul become accepted by the leadership of the church early on. And so Bar- and Barnabas was an apostle. He was a key guy, and, and people listened to him, and that's why Paul was initially accepted by the leadership of the, of the early church is because of what Barnabas said. Well, later they have a big fight over another person. They have this disagreement, and they split. They have a, they have a breaking apart. In fact, if you read that, it says they're, 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 it wasn't like just a gentle parting. It wasn't just a, a gentle agreement. It was a, it was a tear. And it really created some issues in the early church. And so if you've been around long enough, you're, you're going to run into problems with people at times where it, that can be pretty difficult. Obviously, we all know that in the home, you know, I don't know about you. I grew up, you know, having massive fights with all my siblings, you know, I mean, constantly. You know, my old, I had an older brother who beat me up many times. I had sister. I had one sister that beat me up. I mean, she was mean. <laughs> she knew how to fight, and she had long fingernails. That's what she would do. And she would kick you, and she would pull your hair. She was a dirty fighter. So I had lots of battles growing up. I deserved it. Yeah, I did. No question. I was mean. Listen, there's a part of every wicker. If you know any person whose last name is Wicker, I'm going to tell you something. They have a mean streak in them. Tell me they do. <laughs> Anyways, she don't look like she does, but I bet she does. Um, so l- let me just say this, okay? Legalism and religion, which are basically saying legalism, religion, and listen to this, a political spirit demand uniformity. They demand it. And that's one of the dangers that we've seen in the church in the past few years. There's a political spirit that has tried to attach itself to the body of Christ in America. And that spirit demands us all to think the same, believe the same, act the same. And that's a very dangerous thing. 
a very dangerous thing. And we have to be very careful that that spirit is not the thing influencing us. But the Holy Spirit is the only spirit that has a right to influence blood-bought people. And that's the truth. And so we have to be careful in our zeal, in our desire, in our love for our country, which I'm as zealous and desirous for this country as anybody sitting in this room, maybe more than some of you. In all of that, we have to be very careful that we don't allow the politics of our culture to become a driving force in our hearts. We really have to be careful about that. that is not the church's primary thing. It's really not. The church's primary thing is to be salt and light. The church's primary thing is the, is the gospel is the, is, and releasing the power of God into the earth. Well, I know some people don't like that, but it's the truth, y'all. Listen, I'm telling you something that's real here. It's real in our culture, and we have to learn how to walk in our culture, okay? That doesn't mean you can't be politically active. That doesn't mean you don't have political opinions and all that. It means none of that. It just means that's not the, the driving force in your life, you know, because that will create divisions with other Christians. You may, let me tell you how I can create some division in this room right now is I can start talking about racism, it's a sad fact, that's the thing that I have caught the most heat, off, heat from, is when I bring up racism. Because I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't believe like most right-leaning, right people believe, when I'm saying politically right people. I have a completely different view on racism than they do. Because I grew up around black people. I kind of get black people pretty good, really. So I sort of have learned to see the world through their eyes as much as I see the world through a white person's eyes. And I'm going to tell you all something. Black people see the world differently than us. They really do. Now, so I know you all gotten quiet on me. <laughs> but I've gotten fussed at by people. I'm talking about good, amazing people that I love dearly that really have came against, has come against some of the things that my beliefs on racism. And so all that kind of thing, you know. Well, anyways, <laughs> let me read this verse to you. These people, this is what Jesus says, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Uniformity is surface. Is surface. Unity in Christ comes from the inside. It doesn't come from something out here. It comes from something in here. That's the, the, the big difference in the two. See, we, see, the worst thing that could happen, happen to any church, and I've been in churches where everybody wants to act like the preacher. All the younger preachers want to preach like the preacher. People want to dress like the preacher's wife. Act like the preacher's wife. That's sick. That's sick. That's uniformity. That's not unity in Christ. Are y'all with me on this? Um, so unity in Christ comes from the heart. It's relational, first of all. There's not a demand to act a certain way. Listen to me. And not a demand to believe a certain way. We had to remove that demand from people. You don't have to believe how I believe. I'm not requiring that of this church. I'm just going to believe what I believe and do, do live life based on that and let things fall where they will. 
Are you okay? You're looking kind of miserable at me. Okay. We definitely don't want to look the same because y'all would be pitiful if everybody looked ugly like I do. Well, let me just give you an example in the Bible. I I know this is going to be a little... I'm going to be irritated at myself for even talking about any of this later. Okay, but the church at Ephesus in the Bible was one of the greatest churches, right? It is the only letter that, that Paul wrote where there was zero problems mentioned. It was a vision letter. It was, this is the, the, it was like the blueprint of Christianity. It was like the, the, the book of Joshua for the New Testament. It's beautiful. There's no issues addressed. It's all like, this is, this is God's dream. This is what God has. This is how you can work it out in your life. Paul started the church, spent three years establishing that church. Later, the apostle John actually became a main main leader in that church, and eventually Timothy became the pastor of the church. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a part of the church, right? Then you turn over to the book of Revelation, and it starts talking about these guys, how amazing they were in both their belief system and how they lived out things and how they did things, except for one thing. There was one thing missing in that amazing church, and, and, and Jesus says, this is, I got this against you. You can, be a, you can be 100% right theologically, but 100% wrong. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what he was saying. You're wrong because you've left the main thing. The main thing is a relationship. The main thing is a first love. Are y'all getting that? So we don't want a church... What we want in church is it to be around a person, the person of Christ, not a belief system even, not a theological system even. It's, it's really the truth. That's the downfall of church is when we create a theological system and everybody has to line up and believe that or they're not in. It's the danger of church. It's what makes churches become religion. It's what creates cults. And, and what I'm telling you is, is really sort of the dangerous way of, Christian, of, of, of church being church. But it's really the, it's the New Testament way. Are y'all okay? Because y'all are looking mean at me. You're making me feel nervous. Yeah. So here's the, here's the thing. There's one way into the kingdom of God. Right? There's one person, there's one door, Jesus Christ. Okay, there's no other door. There's no other way. There's no other truth. There's no other anything. He's it. But once we're in the kingdom, it's not so much a narrow way no more. It's exactly, that's what the Message Bible, Romans 5.1, he calls it the wide open space, spaces of glory and grace. Once we're in, God begins to talk to us and begin to reveal a lot of things and a lot of perspectives. And that's how he wants us to live our life. Not in some confined way that we have to have every I dotted and every T crossed perfectly to be. Are you okay? I'm telling you, I'm not okay. So... 
What we want to do is this. We want to encourage people to be their true, authentic self. 100% because the God who created every snowflake uniquely certainly has created each one of us uniquely. Okay? And each one of us brings something of the Lord that's a little different than the other person. Okay? And I'm going to tell you the truth. We think we know what the Bible tells us, but many times later we find out, oh, I didn't know that exactly right. In fact, I have often said, and I still say today, I hope next year I can look back at this message and say, oh, I was a little, I wasn't 100% on that. I didn't really catch that word. I didn't really see that thing. That's called growth in the Lord. That's called growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're still stuck on things and we are just, you know, dogmatic about things, we're making a mistake. We really have to have this flexible wineskin and allow the Lord to give us new information that we haven't known yet, new revelation on scriptures. Right? I mean, obviously the scriptures are our boundaries. They're our guide. We don't want to go outside of them ever. Obviously, we don't. But we want to grow in what the Scripture teaches. You know? And so that's, you know, sort of my understanding currently between unity and uniformity. I am totally against uniformity. I despise uniformity. I don't want uniformity in anything in my life. That was just a natural feeling for me. Oh, I was blessed to be raised by a daddy who was a anti- Everything. <laughs> everything. He was anti-everything. You name it. If somebody had something, he's like, no. There's a different way of seeing this. There's a different way of thinking about this. I'm like, oh, Daddy, can't you just not be that way? Can you just go along with the crowd for once and quit humiliating us? Because, you know, as a kid, you don't want to be embarrassed because your dad is such a radical and has radical faults and doesn't mind sharing them with anybody who's in hearing this. And you're sitting there like, no, that's not my dad. No. I don't know the guy. You know, he's crazy. I know he's crazy. This guy's crazy. He claims I'm his daddy, but I'm not. That's the way I felt at times. But the beautiful thing about my daddy, he taught me to look at things from all different ways. To think about things differently. And so it helped me when I discovered when Jesus says to repent. Wow! I can change the way I think. I can change the way I think about the Bible because I don't know everything about the Bible. I want to grow in that. I want to know more. I want to understand God more. And I know my understanding of God is little. I've often said it. The longer I go with the Lord, the less I know the Lord. The longer I go into the Word of God, the more I realize how much error I've had in my life concerning the Word of God. I want to stay that way. I want to stay teachable and I want to stay humble. Okay, well, maybe that was the whole thing. Well, let me tell you about these two women. Who were, I'm going to keep with my notes. Who were these two women? We don't know. We know that they were very powerful women in the church. They, They were not, they were Macedonian women. They were Greek women. They weren't Jewish women. They were believers that had authority in this church. And they were having some difficulties with each other. And that's why Paul was trying to address it. One of them's names means, Judea's names means prosperous. 
They got great names. I just looked at their names trying to figure out who they were. Udia means prosperous or successful. Cynthia means fortunate or lucky. So obviously they were living up to their name of being prosperous and successful and fortunate in that church. But Paul said this to them. He said, I implore, which is a really powerful statement. Here's some other translation. I plead, I entreat, I urge. In other words, this was something that Paul saw as a danger to the church. And he was pleading, literally Paul the Apostle was pleading with them to resolve their differences. Okay, so in life what we find, in marriage especially, and in the church world especially, if you're paying attention, there are going to be things that you can agree to disagree on. Right? I mean, Becky and I have, we identified things in our marriage that we were never going to come to an agreement on. But what we did conclude, well, it doesn't matter. I had to give her the freedom to believe, have an opinion, or think a certain way about a certain situation and let her have it. I don't have to agree with her on it. We could discuss it and agree to disagree. And we go on with life. That does not put a division in us. Okay? Now... Here's what would put a division in us. If I went out and bought a $30,000, $40,000 car without talking to her about it. You see, there's some things that require unity. There's some things that you, you... So those things you agree to disagree on can't be major things. They can be little things. You have to give a person a right to believe what they believe and have the opinions that they have whether you agree with them or not. And I'm going to tell you something. Becky has some beliefs and opinions that I don't necessarily go for. Okay, like, no, no, uh-uh. No, 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 uh-uh. And she always says, well, I have a right to my opinion. You know? And I will admit, I will admit this, okay? I'm going to admit this. One thing that we had a big disagreement on and we agreed to disagree on is how we related to our families. Because Becky was very family-oriented, very much connected with her siblings, and I wasn't. And I didn't want to be for a long time. So we agreed to disagree. She could go be connected all she wanted to be and hang out for, for days on end. I didn't care. I sat at my house and do what I do, you know. But as I got older, the Lord started talking to me about my sisters and brothers, about how I need to be more friendly to them and more caring about them, and more loving and reaching out to them, which in the last two years I've really been trying to do that a lot better. You know what the problem is, though? I'm having to do it. I have to initiate it all, because I, th- I think they just quit on me. You know? And I can't blame them, because I didn't talk to them for 50-something years. <laughs> You know, and all of a sudden I'm talking to them, asking them how they're doing. I'm gonna come, I want to come by and visit. Like, you want to visit me? Why would you want, what do you want from me? <laughs> Obviously you want something because you never come visit. You know, it's just crazy, man. But so, you know, agree to disagree. The other party may start slowly but surely turning your way. So, um... But here's what he didn't. He didn't appeal to them to drop their disagreements. Okay, this is important, y'all. He didn't say, hey, just stop it and go on like nothing happened. He didn't do that. You see, there are some things we can't agree to disagree on. There, there really is some things. 
Like if somebody came in here and said, well, you can get saved if you do these things besides Christ. I would think, uh-uh. We ain't going for that now. We don't agree with that. We don't believe that. And we're not going to agree to disagree. We're just saying no to that. We're period. We're going to disagree with you, and we will not. We will resist that. Right? You know. But here's something you could agree to disagree on. Uh, okay, you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. I don't personally believe that. I don't think that's what the Bible says. But I do like speaking in tongues. So if somebody said that to me, I'm like, oh, no, nah, man, okay, if that's what you, I'm good with that. You know, I'm speaking in tongues anyway. Okay, period. I don't really care what your theology is about that baptism of the Holy Spirit thing. I mean, we both believe in it, just what the manifestation is. Are, are y'all getting my drift here? So, but he, but he said this. Don't, you know, don't just move over it. He was saying, bring your disagreements into the submission of Christ. Okay? That's what he was saying. Both of you are going to have to humble yourself. And both of you are going to have to submit to the Lord. You're going to have to bow in your disagreement. You can't fight, keep fighting each other of this thing because you're bringing, you're bringing trouble into the church and you're going to hurt the church. And so both of you are going to have to lose this fight. Have you ever been in a disagreement with somebody, like another strong believer that you really love, they really love you, and all of a sudden you find this, well, if you hadn't, it's hard. I mean, it can be really hard. And really, what I've found, because I've had a few of those in my life for some reason. Becky would say, it's my fault, right? Well, you're the common denominator. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably right, yeah. I've done some bad stuff. I'll admit it, I was wrong a few times when I thought I was right. I gotta finish this. But I do want to tell you this. What I was doing this recently. Oh man. I was reading some old emails with a friend who was going through he was going through some questioning in his life. I'm talking uh sixteen years ago. He was going through some questions in his life about what he believed. And so we had this email conversation going over a period of months. And I don't know why I absolutely you know, ran across one of those emails, and I read it, and I was just heartbroken, heartbroken over what I read. Not the words I read, not my what I was telling them. It was the attitude that I had. Because what I saw in me, I saw a string of pride in me. That I was right, he was wrong. And I felt real convicted by the Holy Spirit at that moment. About, about that kind of thing. I felt very convicted because what I wrote was right. It was biblically correct. But my heart attitude towards this person who was really struggling was not a good heart attitude. It wasn't an attitude of serving them, loving them, and helping them walk through. It was a, just a thing of trying to correct them and fix them. And it really, I felt smitten by the Lord. I felt felt a humiliation come on me. And here's why I felt a humiliation come on me. How am I doing that today, Lord? Who am I doing that to now, Lord? What what pride is lurking down inside of me that I don't even know is in me? Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? 
what, what, what is it down there that's hidden from me that I can't see? And I'll tell you, that's a good, that's a good place to come to. Although it was, it was painful for me, you know, click, click, click. I am so sorry I did that to you. But what are you talking about? The guy was fine today. I was telling him I was sorry. I didn't, I didn't think you were being prideful. But I said I had to do it for me, if nothing else, just to say I, I was in error. Are y'all, okay, never mind. I don't care if you're good or not. It's your problem, not mine. Can I read this John 17? I'm going to finish this because I got two more, I got two or three more good verses. All right. This is, all this is so amazing because it's all in the Bible. This is what Jesus said in John 17. I do not pray for these alone, meaning his disciples that were with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, right? That they all may be one. Listen to this. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. And that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus prayed for unity among believers based on the believer's unity with Jesus and the Father. Do y'all get that? That's big. That's huge. That's the only way we can ever have unity. We can't create unity around anything else. It's a false unity. I'm just telling you that now. I do not want to create unity around people, around some theological position, around some political position, any of that. I don't want to do that. Because that's not what the Scripture teaches. It, cre- it teaches unity around Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, I think this is kind of important myself. Maybe you don't, but I think it's real important. Because I think the days ahead, there's going to be things that are going to come at us to create division. And Jesus said, a house divided against itself will not stand. That's what he said. Relationships will not stand if they're divided. Businesses will not stand. And that's why we need to really protect our hearts and find the right unity in the person of Christ and God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, obviously, right? All right, let me read this one other thing. Are y'all, I got time, I got eight minutes. This is going to be for it. And Paul also said, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women. Who is true companion? Well, nobody knows who true companion is. Actually, it means uh, literally true yoke fellow. In other words, it was somebody laboring Maybe some real mature Christian in that church or some friend or some leader in that church. We don't know, but what this is important, y'all. What we would think that person to be is a peacemaker. Okay? And listen to this. Everybody knows this. Blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah, we all get that. For they shall be called sons of God. See what Jesus was saying on that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called... Our identity individually is tied up in this whole thing of unity. In other words, put it like this. If we're people who are envious, jealous, divisive, it's going to hurt us on a personal level in terms of who we are in Christ. It's going to diminish us. Does that make sense? Why are you looking at me so blankly? 
Are y'all getting this seriously? This is so important for us. In other words, if you have an argumentative spirit, it's diminishing you. If you have to be right all the time, if you have to argue your people down all the time, it's going to diminish who you are. It's going to take away from your true identity as a son or daughter of the Lord. I think that's pretty big. Being divisive robs you of your identity. Being envious or jealous are identity destroyers. They really are. Here's a great test. Someone said this recently. I don't know who, but they said, one of your biggest tests is when your friend, when the sun's shining on your friend, but the dark clouds are pouring rain on you. In other words, when you, have you ever been there? When everything in your life was going wrong and you had people around you, everything in their life was blessed. That's a hard place to be. That is a big test. That's a real hard place to be. It'll threaten your identity. It really will. Well, I could talk more about that. Here's a good verse, 22, Revelation 22, 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Notice who said that. The Spirit and who? The bride say, come. There was this unity. And the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Uh, someone was asking about prophetic leadership. What's the one verse? This is the one verse of being a prophetic person. Is being in unity with the Holy Spirit. Hearing the Holy Spirit. Okay? If you hear what the, you See, that's what the bride was doing. They were hearing what the Spirit of the Lord was saying. And they were just repeating what the Spirit of the Lord was saying. That's the kind of leadership the church in America needs. Is they, need some, they don't need somebody listening to what culture is saying. They need to get somebody to tune in to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying and speak that. I mean, that's really where, where, what we come down to. To really, listen, y'all, there's some inherent power in Jesus. Okay? There's inherent power in Christ. There's not inherent power in, you know... But what do you say? Saying what the world says. There's really not. Guess what the Bible says? One of the most frequently used, do y'all know what the most frequently used phrase by Jesus is in the New Testament? Does anybody know the most frequent phrase that Jesus Christ said more than, any, more than anything else? He who has an ear, let him here. He said that seven, I think eight times in the Gospels and seven times in the book of Revelation. Plus John said it. He jumped on it like, yeah, Jesus is saying it, I'm saying it. So there's 16 times in the Bible in the New Testament. Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. That's why the whole prophetic thing is so important is to begin to hear what the Lord's saying have you ever noticed that your ears don't have lids on them in the natural? There's no such thing as ear lids. <laughs> right? Meaning we're always supposed to be hearing something from the Lord. Our eyes have eyelids on it, so there's going to be times we're not going to be seeing things. But God does want us to hear constantly. He who has an ear, let him hear. And God has given us an ear to hear. We just need to cultivate that ear and tune that ear to what he's saying. And so that's going to be a, that's a real key to unity right there. 
That's a real big key, key to unity is, is hearing. And that's going to be the mark of the last day church. When the spirit and the bride say come, they're speaking the same thing. They're saying the same thing together. Isn't that beautiful? Faith comes by hearing, not heard. Right? And hearing comes by what? The rhema word of God. The rhema, the spoken word. It's God talking. That's, that's how your hearing is enabled. That's how it comes alive. God speaks and he speaks life into your ears and they come alive. And then your faith comes from that. Right? It's not having heard. It's not what you heard yesterday. It's not even from reading the Bible. And I love the Bible, but that it's got to be God speaking. The rhema word. Go look it up. That's what is in there. All right. Yeah, it's good. All right, Donna. Randy was right on one occasion. <laughs> he said he was happy you were here. I'm going to finish with this. I, I hope this is getting across you. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling y'all. Y'all ain't helping me. <laughs> psalm 133, 1 through 3. Everybody knows this beautiful psalm. But this is beautiful, man. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, not uniformity. It's like the precious oil upon the beard, upon the head running down on the beard. The beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. It's in a place of unity where God commands a blessing. God commands it. You know the old saying, two are better than one if they're in unity? Right? That's true. And there's also another part of that. Two is less than one when they're divided. See, we take away from each other when there's division. In other words, what we really have in ourselves is taken away from us when we have this divisive thing going. And so what he was talking about here was a unity that creates, a, creates an atmosphere, creates an environment where the anointing can really begin to flow and begin to be multiplied. Okay, that's what God's looking for in the church. He's not looking for one person to have an anointing. He's not looking for a worship team to have an anointing. He's looking to multiply an anointing. But you can't, it won't work if there's division. It, you know, it hurts the anointing. I'll finish with my last little thing I wrote down. I wrote this down a long time ago. I wrote it down when the Lord was really moving and I was happy, you know. And I was sitting here watching the Lord move and I was watching all these amazing people. The Lord used them. I was just thrilled at watching. I was thrilled at watching the pew warmer suddenly had this powerful anointing on them to pray for people. It was crazy, man. I mean, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is the way it's supposed to be. Uh, when the Holy Spirit moves among the people, the work of God can be hindered if there are feelings of conflict, jealousy, and separation. It is much more fruitful, powerful, and enjoyable when a group of individuals come together to seek God and do His work as a community. And that really is the truth. There's a joy in it. There's, there's power in it. There's something in it. And that's what God is calling the church in America to do. God's calling the church, not just individual congregations within the congregation, but He's calling the body of Christ to come together as a people. And I don't know how all that works. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And like, okay, we can, 
with the Presbyterians, I can agree to disagree. Y'all don't believe in getting in tongues? Well, that's fine. I'm going to keep speaking in tongues, but we'll go forward together for the cause of Christ. We'll change the world for the cause of Christ. We don't have to divide over that. Now, that takes a lot of grace. Let me end right here, okay? Because this is nothing, man, but this was powerful for me. So I met, at the time, the vice president of Billy Graham's library. And he was a really good guy. And he invited Becky and I down there and took us on a personal tour of that place. If you have not gone to Billy Graham's library, go. You, but bring Kleenexes. You will come out weeping. Yeah, it is powerful. I love that place. Well, I don't know why that guy said, hey, you want to come to a prayer meeting? I said, what prayer meeting? He said, well, we have some pastors that meet here, and, and we would like you to come. Like, okay, yeah, I would love to come to your prayer meeting. So I'm thinking, why did I do that? They're not going to like me there. This is Billy Graham. They're real. So the day of the prayer meeting, this is, this is no kidding. The day of the prayer meeting, it was kind of nasty weather. It was winter. It was kind of, it wasn't snowing, but it was sort of, sort of slushy, sort of icy. So this is what I thought. Well, you know, this is what I, how I'm, it's slushy and icy, so I'm going to dress slushy and icy. I'm going to put on clothes that fit that kind of weather. You know, like boots and jeans and flannel shirts. Okay, so I do, and I drive down there, and I walk into the conference room, and I suddenly look at, and I'm thinking, oh, no. The worst dressed person in here besides me is dressed like I am right now. Some of them had suits on. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? I'm the maintenance man. I'm looking for the vacuum cleaner. That's the way I literally felt. Please, God, get me out of here. They're going to hate me. So I felt so stupid. Like, oh, I don't belong here. I do not belong here, Lord. What am I doing? Why did I ever tell I was so full of regret. So, Byron, this is the guy, the vice president. He introduces me, and everybody goes around like, so, Byron, tell me how you became a pastor. I thought, oh, God. I'm thinking, I think I should lie and give them some really fancy story, you know, that's not threatening to anyone on the earth. Just a very benign calling, yeah, okay, going to school, you know, all this. I thought that, but I thought, well, I'm just going to tell them the truth. I'm just going to stick with the program. You know, I'm already, I'm already out anyway, so it doesn't matter. You know, I can do nothing else to make this any worse. I'm out. They're done with me. They'll never want me to come back again. So I said, well, this is what happened. I was sitting in my house one night, and I felt this presence walk into the room. And all I can tell you, that president came and stood beside me. He didn't say nothing. I didn't say nothing. And I don't know how long it was. But when he, let, when he walked out of the room, I knew I was supposed to be a pastor. And that guy went, that's right. We need pastors that have had encounters with the Lord. Suddenly I was in, man. I'm serious. And I realized then, you can't judge a book by its cover. Just because they had three-piece suits on didn't mean they weren't. They probably knew the Lord much greater than I did. And I knew right then I can commune with these people. I can fellowship with them. I can pray with them. 
and have agreement with these people. I can walk in unity, not based on what I look like, even my belief system, but based on the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what God's calling us to, y'all. So let me just tell you, the next time something happens and there's a divisive thing that comes into the church where there's a political view here, there's a political view there, there's masks here, there's shots, all that stuff. The next time when that happens, let us remember where our real unity is. Let's make sure we stick to that. And if a person decides they have a view about that, let's kiss them on the cheek and say, we love you. And we're not rejecting you over something that we may not personally believe. And when it's all said and done, we'll be a lot happier with each other. You know, and we won't have to nurse each other's wounds and repair relationships. Right? And and I'm saying that's hard to do. It's really hard to do. I get it. You know, but I think that's what the church needs to do. They'll know we're Christians by our love. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.